Welcome, everybody, to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we're not going to be talking simultaneously about the two European Championship games that happened today, which did happen simultaneously. Uh, We're going to break them apart and talk about them one by one. That makes sense. Turkey were not content with people being wrong about them as a pre-tournament Dark Horse favorite and chose to help people be very wrong by losing 3-1 to the Swiss. Uh, Meanwhile, Wales lost a man to a red card in the 55th minute, lost their game to Italy 1-0, but still won second place in their group. Joining me today to talk about both of those games and tomorrow's fixtures are two gentlemen. Up first is a man who spent most of both games today worrying about Scotland somehow. It's Graham Ruthven. Hi, Graham. <laughs> Hi, Taylor. And that is absolutely 100% accurate. In particular, the Switzerland-Turkey game, I watched purely through the prism of Scotland. And also, I, I must say, I'm watching these games through the prism of Scotland, knowing that we still have to actually score a goal and win a game. But I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm choosing to be optimistic in believing that that can happen, and also pessimistic at the same time in believing that if that does happen, we will go out in the most Scottish way possible on four points, which was a target a target all along, but results elsewhere were, will inevitably go against us. So that's where my headspace is right now. I appreciate the insight into the headspace. Is it fair to say that the Scottish perspective, generally speaking, is optimistic but pessimistic? Yeah, 100%. That sums okay. us up pretty well. I mean, I was saying to you before we started recording, there, there's a, a Scottish newspaper, The Scotsman here, who have, who have been tweeting out kind of what Scotland needs from every... We're obviously anticipating going for that, that third place, one of the best third place um, teams in the Euros getting through to the last 16. And they're tweeting out what we need from each day. And basically what we didn't need from today was for uh, Turkey to lose by, by two goals. And of course, that's what happened. So they tweeted out, well, we'll just scratch off today and on to tomorrow. Tomorrow, it's it's not shaping up too well. I have to say, it's it's. I have a bad feeling about it that we're going to beat Croatia and then go out. So the Turks really did disappoint you even more, is what you're telling me. That introduction yes. was accurate. Okay, perfect. I was furious. <laughs> when are they going to stop someone shooting from twenty yards out? The answer, uh, I think, is never. Uh, so that is Graham Rothman. We're going to talk to more Graham uh, as the show goes on. Uh, but first, we should introduce our other co-host, uh, a man who I can't believe would ever get a red card. But if he did, I'm sure he would be polite about it. It's Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. <laughs> Any red cards in your career? I'm assuming not. No red cards. A couple yellow cards. I would I would say that they were both tactical fouls. I, I, I At least one of them was very much a tactical foul. Um, I, I'm distracted, though, because I can't help think that the prism of Scotland that Graham mentioned would be just a, a phenomenal name for an alt-rock band. So if we have the power to make that happen, I think we should. Scotland. I like yeah. it. Yeah, I think that could also be like an 80s hair metal band. I feel like prism of Scotland sure. sound, yeah. sounds like one as well. Or... <laughs> A, a resurfaced one. Uh, Joe, the other question I had for you, or the other introduction I was playing with, would be a man who's going to leave us in the 89th minute of recording. Uh, that 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 seems like a, a strange w- way to go with it, but that's also what we had with Donnarumma today. Do you have any idea what was going on there, aside from, like, did they just want Sirigu to maybe get a medal? <laughs> I mean, I think this is an opportunity for Mancini to show it's about the culture, right? We're going to get even our backup goalkeeper on because our players believe in this project. We've won 30 games in a row or whatever it is. We are this unstoppable force. We can use any players we want. I think I think it, it kind of made sense from a culture-building standpoint within this group. But yeah, I mean, you don't see an 89th-minute goalkeeper change very often, do you? 
You don't. You really don't. Luckily, we will not have any 89th minute uh, co-host changes, mostly because I don't think we're going to be recording until the 89th minute. <laughs> if we are, then I expect you both to leave me prematurely, I'm out. and that yeah. would be fair. <laughs> uh, Graham, I did ask Joe about the red cards. I- I'm assuming you also know red cards in your career, but did want to give did want to give you the opportunity to uh, come forth with that one. <laughs> Well, see, I, I think I stopped playing soccer when I was about 14 years old. And, and, and at that age, I don't think they actually give out cards. Uh, <laughs> I don't think they're quite in, quite at that level. So I'm pretty sure I, I didn't get a red card, but maybe I didn't get like a juice box after the game or something like that for a bad that, tackle. That was the penalty. I like it. Well, we are recording this on Father's Day. And speaking of fathers and red cards, I would like to let people know that Ryan's legs once did self-red card on a dad's only race at his kid's school event, and he went uh, plummeting to the ground. (laughs) I'm sure that video still exists somewhere, and it is outstanding, and he hates that it's out there. So uh, hopefully we'll have him share that when he's back on the show. But since we didn't have any good red card stories, let's instead talk about today's games. Let's start with... Uh, let's go with Italy-Wales to start first because that one felt like there was a bit more at stake given that Turkey didn't seem like they were ever really going to get back into this group stage competition. Let's start with Italy, who made it three wins from three to close out the group stage. Yesterday, we had some tournament favorites underperformings. Do we think now that it's Italy and Belgium as the two strongest teams we've so- seen so far? Are the Dutch in that conversation, Graham, or are you leaning towards Italy as your number one? Yeah, I have to say at this moment in time, I'm leaning towards Italy as, as, as my number one. I just think because three games now is, is a decent sample size. And one of the things that was most impressive about this game for Italy was for anyone who, who didn't catch this game, Mancini really rang the changes for this one. He, he brought in basically a whole new team, most notably, um, Belotti started up front, Marco Verratti, which I, I did say last night I, I, on the podcast that I wondered if he might play and he, I didn't expect him to start, I have to say, but he, he played from the start. And then Federico Chiesa starting a game and a game. And then there were, there were, you know, a multitude of, a multitude of changes elsewhere as well. But I think what was most impressive was, the way that Italy played, the the way that the players were comfortable with the formation and what they were being asked to do. And yes, there probably was a little bit of a drop-off in individual quality and being able to execute it as well as the first team did. But in terms of the approach, as I say, it was very much the same. And I just think that shows that Mancini has a really solid basis of coaching values and principles and everyone in that squad knows what every role in the team is meant to do regardless of who's performing it and um, that was that was really impressive and it makes me think that even if Italy get a few injuries to some key players they're they're not going to suffer too badly in the same way that other teams who are relying on that individual quality I think we've said in previous podcasts there's a theme at this tournament of teams building on a they have a, a sound defensive basis but then they allow the kind of individuals to do their own thing and so a, a key injury to someone like you know Antoine Griezmann for France or or um, you know another another individual quality players you know Lukaku or De Bruyne for Belgium that could be catastrophic for their tournament I don't feel like Italy have that same thing I feel like they've got so many different options and this game was proof of that. And if they did have any vulnerabilities, do you think Mancini would give it away? Because he seems like he's got the the poker face to be a world champion. The photo you sent, Graham, of him doing his post-match interview with the <laughs> jacket sort of casually slung over the shoulder, really giving us the impression that he is really not bothered by the group stage and is pretty optimistic for what's to come. I, I'm, I am so impressed by Mancini, I think, because he's 
like I think the way it ended with Man City, it didn't remind me that he was this like excellent next level manager. I feel like we're getting back to that uh, now. How impressed have you been, Graham, by what Mancini has done with this team? Yeah, hugely impressed. And the most impressive thing is how suave he looks, as you say, the, the, <laughs> in that interview with his with his uh, his coat, you know, his suit coat over his shoulder. He has not got a care in the world. That's what you, a man looks like when you've got the soccer at five and the opera at eight. <laughs> and uh, he he is. I, I'm I'm with you on the Man City thing. You know, Mancini was maybe I never really thought of him as a. I mean, I did think of him as a good coach, but maybe not a, an elite level, you know, a top five in the world coach. I've never really thought of him as that at any time in his career. But yet this Italy team, I feel like really is becoming a little bit of his masterpiece a little bit. I know there's he's only played three games. Maybe that's going slightly over the top. If they win it, then it will maybe be his masterpiece. But he's showing things that I didn't really associate with Roberto Mancini you know this this Italy team for me are everything that Spain should be you know clear po- coaching principles that don't restrict individual freedoms for players to make decisions and take risks but it's all very technical the pressing is very high it's all very orchestrated as I think I've said previously the off the ball stuff is maybe as impressive for Italy if not more impressive than what they're doing on the ball and so, yeah, I have to say at this point, I'm I'm leaning towards, I've always said France just because I think their squad is so strong and they've been there and done it before. And even, despite their hungry draw, I'm not, I'm not going cool on them just yet. But Italy have really caught my eye and they've been more impressive. I thought they were going to be good at this tournament, but they've been, they've exceeded those expectations so far. They've been, they've been great. For me, I think one of the most impressive things about Italy is how Mancini has set up this team to have a really strong tactical framework and we see that especially in possession because they tend to they tend to have more of the ball in the games that they play because that's the type of team they are they play this very set shape but it's also fluid at the same time and it makes me think of Greg Berhalter U.S. men's national team head coach he'll talk about how his structure and his detailed possession setup isn't designed to restrict players and put them in a box it's designed in teams that coach like Berhalter or coaches that coach like him design their possession structures to allow those players to have a strong foundation to then show their quality and show their skills and play their games within that structure on top of that foundation. I think Italy show that maybe better than any other team in this tournament. We see a vastly different team, eight different starters for this game versus the last game that they had in the group stage. And we see those roles interpreted slightly differently based off individual player profiles, but the pieces still fit together well. They still move together as a unit and use the ball to break through the opposing uh, opposing defense. I think the way Mancini has set up this team and use that detailed setup as a platform for his players to excel. I think that's so impressive. And Joe, as Graham said, we did have a lot of rotation with this Italy side, but we had Jorginho still starting. Like, how impressive has he been, or what do you think he brings to this Italy team to the way they want to approach these games tactically from an attacking standpoint, from a defensive standpoint? Why do you think it is that he's been there through all three games? And I ask, like, because I'm assuming it's he's very good at what he does, but I will be honest and say there is also part of me that was just wondering, like, is he maybe in a position where he doesn't have to run as much if he's sort of supposed to be the metronome and the defensive anchor? Like, does he conserve some energy and maybe he can go a little bit longer I feel like it's probably that he's just very smart and very uh, intelligent on and off the ball but maybe it's the lack of running Joe I ask you no I think it's both of those things Taylor I really do he's playing that six spot with two more advanced midfielders in front of him at least when Italy press and when they defend so he doesn't do as much 
vertical high speed running. He's more of a shielder. He's more of a screen for the center backs. And so I think he does save some miles on his legs in that role compared to the eights in front of him. But then also he is this team's metronome. He does help them tick and he does it subtly because not once Taylor have I looked at this Italy team and, and watched them in all three of their games. I haven't said, man, Jorginho is the star of this team or man, they, they, they really can't play without him because he does that job so well that he almost just blends in. He doesn't have to dominate the ball in possession. He doesn't really even have to progress the ball. He'll break some lines, but then it can be in a full strength, Italy starting 11. It can be Locatelli, who's then stepping forward from that left center mid spot that's dropping down next to Jorginho and then carry the ball forward. It could be Barella, or they could just play it into the front line and Berardi can drive it or Insigne can get in the half space. Jorginho is, he's, he's not, he's not a star of this team, but he is so important to how they work. And it's, it's almost, confusing to understand how that makes sense but there is this nuance to it in that role that he plays I think I think he's so important to this team even if he doesn't always jump off the page Graham we've only talked about Italy so far in this game and we're going to continue that uh we had Marco Verratti come back uh in this one as you said he started I thought he looked really good he drew the foul that led to the free kick that he then took and got the assist for the goal that said, I still won't be surprised if he's on the bench for the next match. And I think if I'm being honest, like where I am with Italy right now with what Mancini has done with them is if Ferrati starts the next game, I will assume that that was probably the right choice. And if he doesn't, I will assume it is also the right choice. Are you in that same camp or is there <laughs> a sort of midfield three that you think should definitely start in the knockout round? Oh, I, I am. Um, Verratti has given Mancini a bit of a headache uh-huh. with this performance because uh-huh. he was fantastic. And I know I said that the previous midfield of Berea, uh, Jorginho, Locatelli was perfectly balanced. And I still think that it is Verratti's individual quality and just his, his ability to completely boss a game almost on his own. And that's what he did in this game. That, that has to be a factor. Maybe, maybe against the, the really, high caliber teams you know like the, the the teams that could win the whole tournament I think that might be a factor in, in Mancini's thinking but I think it was it was um, Sam Tai who tweeted during this game and he, he pointed something out about how Verratti was he was uh, slowing and quickening up the play to keep Wales off balance and the thing that Sam pointed out in his tweet was he was he was even doing that with his throw-ins um, and he was taking some of them quickly and he was taking some of them slowly and it was just all about unsettling Wales and it just made such a big difference to to the to the the intensity and the tempo and the pace that Italy were playing with and I, I just thought that's a sign of a truly intelligent player who recognises the difference that the small things I mean uh, you know the, the 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 speed at which someone takes a throw in in isolation is a very inconsequential thing but when you add it into a, an overall performance it just it's just an, another thing that to me proves how he's always thinking a lot about what he's doing and not just what he's doing but the purpose of what he's doing and I, I don't think there are actually many players in European football um as a whole who have that sort of awareness and 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 that sort of um smartness intelligence so we've basically got a conundrum do you think it should be Verratti though or like are you okay with it being anybody in there I'm I'm definitely okay with it being the three that played the first two games and I think it it will be that so who who are the bracket because of these third place teams I have to say I'm all over the place with the bracket who who do Italy get in the next uh, the round? The runner-up of Group C, which uh, right now is Ukraine, could also be Austria, could theoretically be North Macedonia, but most likely will be Ukraine or Austria. 
Okay, I think actually North Macedonia might actually be out already. I th- I, I, I'm you sure are I read that. My bad, they are. They are definitely yeah. eliminated. The giant that, bold E next to them tells me that you are yeah. there. <laughs> the, I, that's the only thing about the bracket that I know <laughs> is that North Macedonia are, are out. But um, yeah, if it's Ukraine or, or Austria, I think I would stick with just the safety of knowing what's worked in the first two games. But I'll go back to what I, say, I said um, in that if Italy find themselves up against a truly high-caliber team, I think I might be putting Verratti in there just for that little bit of extra oomph, I guess. All right. I like it. I like it. Joe, I would like to talk a little bit about Wales before uh, we move on to our next game. Uh, They did seem a little bit different to me in their approach and the way they were trying to play. I think very much limited in the second half by the red card to Ethan Ampadu. Uh, We don't necessarily need to get into that red card because I think it it can be debated one way or the other. I think Taylor Twelman did a pretty good job of summarizing it. And I do think, as I tweeted, that... There's one angle that makes it seem like he gets stepped on. There's another one that makes it seem like he gets a little bit of shin, a little bit of ankle. So there is a red card there. But prior to that, did you see Rob Page trying different things? Did you see Wales setting up differently? I saw Aaron Ramsey playing in a role that I wasn't necessarily expecting him to play. It definitely was different from Wales' first two group stage games where they'd used a back four and it was most often a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1 in possession. In this game, Wales were mostly defending, right? That happens when you play Italy. And so defensively, they were in a back five, and it looked like this 5-1-4 shape, essentially, with Aaron Ramsey as the nominal number nine. And then most often, it was Joe Morrill pushing up next to him. So he's Morrill's one of the central midfielders next to Joe Allen, but, but really, it was Morrill pushing high. And then you get a front four for Wales, with Ramsey and Morrill as the two forwards, and then Dan James on the left, and Gareth Bale on the right. And then it would be just Joe Allen shielding and protecting the back line and holding down the midfield. And I think Rob Page did this because it allowed Wales to block off and pressure Italy's central midfielders, which is the the real key. It's the heart of that Italy team. They are what makes this team tick between Jorginho and then uh, Pessina and Verratti in this game. So Rob Page switched up that defensive alignment a little bit and tried to use Morrill and Ramsey to block passing angles into Jorginho and Verratti, tried to use Dan James and Gareth Bale to do similar things from a little bit wider of angles. And I I think it worked pretty well for the first 20, 25 minutes. And then Italy got smart, and they used Pessina to drift in between the lines, and he'd start to go and pick out spots on either side of Joe Allen that Allen just couldn't deal with Pessina's movement and allowed Italy to progress the ball forward. I liked the look from Wales. I liked Ampadu as that center-center back number six hybrid because he would step forward in possession, and I thought that looked great. I'm sad we won't see it if if Wales do, in fact, continue trying something similar in this tournament. But I thought it was a, a smart tactical change, at least in idea. It didn't end up giving Wales the win here, but I liked the move from Rob Page. Uh, I did as well. I'm with you. I also liked, uh, not surprisingly, Graham Ruffin's take on the red card, which I believe is that you called for an orange card, Graham, which it does seem (laughs) like that would have been the right color. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly have no idea on that call. I can, I can see why it's given as a red, but I also feel like it's, it's, it's because it's, it's because it's a stamp on the foot, but he kind of grazes the shin a little bit as he goes down. And so that's why I think it's an orange card because is that enough to say he's kind of planted his studs into the shin of the player or is it just a stamp on the foot? Because obviously if it's a stamp on the foot, generally it's a yellow card. But yeah, that one could have gone either way. I can make an argument for, I can see the, the arguments on both sides. All right. So I think a little bit of controversy to end that one. But I feel like, you know, you need a little bit of drama to keep the the interest going. Uh, So that's Italy and Wales both making it through to the next round. We will talk about Turkey, Switzerland in just a moment. 
which is right now. I was going to give us a break, but we're just going to go right into it. We're recording (laughs) this on a Sunday. We don't have ad breaks. We could just keep rolling. Uh, Joe, I'm going to ask you a very similar question to what I asked you about Wales with uh, Switzerland. I was trying to watch both games simultaneously, which is always a bad idea. But uh, the interesting way to do it is to make sure that one of your feeds is a couple minutes behind. And then the other one will tell you when something interesting is about to happen. And then you can go and watch that game. Oh, that's ingenious. That's that's the easiest way I have never considered that before. Yeah. So then you're never missing anything. Thing. But it was strange that, like, I think I stumbled upon that accidentally once, and it was really odd because I was watching the game and thought it was live, and they kept telling me how, like, oh, there's been a goal in the other game, and I was like, I, you guys are wrong, and then I realized I had paused it at halftime. So I was trying to pay attention to both this time around, and what I, I definitely saw a lot of in uh, Turkey's loss to Switzerland was Briel Embolo moving around more than I feel like he moved in those first two games. And I don't mean to say that he was static or standing up top or not moving enough. It's more so that I feel like I saw him almost partnering Jerdan Shakiri in the attack as opposed to being further forward and partnering Seferovic. Joe, am I focusing on like individual moments that I did catch or did you see Briel Embolo doing something differently? I saw him I saw him doing something differently. I actually okay. do think he moved right. a lot in those first couple games, but mm-hmm. he moved vertically. Yeah. He'd start high and then drop into midfield to give Switzerland a 4v3 against Wales, and we saw similar things against Italy. In this game, he did that, yeah, but he also moved horizontally a lot more, and I think that's because Switzerland changed their shape in this game. They changed out of that 3-4-1-2 to a 4 at the back, with Ricardo Rodriguez as the left back, and they had Vidmer as the right back, and then they had Zuber, who's who was kind of a left wing back, but mostly a left midfielder or even tucking inside to add even another number into central midfield. So the shape was different, and that ended up with Mbolo shaded out towards the right side at times and then tucking inside instead of starting high and dropping down. So the movement patterns were a little bit different from Switzerland. But to be honest, I think Switzerland could have done just about anything in terms of their shape in this game, and they would have carved right through Turkey over and over and over again. I I, I don't want to. Yeah, thanks, Graham. That's going to be the title, part of the title for today's show. I already have it written, um, so I just want to be clear. I know Ryan. If it were Ryan, I wouldn't even ask. But for you, it's on purpose because I'd already written the title and it was in my head, and I thought, okay, I have to get the point out. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll be here all week. I really will. Um, I I think Switzerland could have done literally anything in this game because. Turkey, and I don't, I don't want to be too negative here, but they're the worst team I've seen in this tournament by a country mile. Their, their defensive setup is just so bad. They yeah. can't pressure as a unit. They leave so much space between their lines. And Switzerland did great at exposing that space and targeting the, the opportunities between the lines, getting out in transition as well. But Turkey, man, it, it's not a shock to me that they gave up nine goals, scored one miracle goal pretty much in the second half, and they're going home with zero points because they, they are not a good team. They conceded 62 shots over three games. 62! Uh, yeah. <laughs> and for a yeah. team that, like, as we've talked about a couple times, seemed like they were going to be based around being this defensively solid, low-percentage team, I thought of them more as like a Burnley team where they're trying to really limit the chances the opponent does get. When it's 62 chances, I don't know how many of them were on frame, but I'm going to assume more than should have been. Uh, yes, that is not... Very good overall. I have talked a lot about this Turkey team and about how I feel like maybe the expectations were a little bit unfair. Graham, I do want to ask you, though, like, genuinely I'm asking, is there an art, like, is there ever an argument for you that teams buy into the hype a little bit? Because watching this team, they were still, I agree with you, Joe, I think they've been the, the most uninspiring, unimpressive team in this tournament. But I kept expecting there to be that defensive solidity and to be a sort of spine through that team that would cause problems or at least make other teams have to work a little bit harder, get into second or third gear. 
And I didn't really see that. And I can't tell if it's because Turkey were just not at the level they needed to be, or maybe because they read some of those headlines, they did approach some of this with like, oh, we got this. Graham, do you buy into the idea that teams can sort of believe in themselves or believe in their headlines before they actually perform? Um, well, having watched England for the last 20 <laughs> to 30 years at major tournaments, I would say absolutely yes. Teams are, can, can do that. Um, with Turkey, I'm not so sure without the way to that they're. you up that well, but you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Taylor. It's appreciated. Uh, yeah, the way, the way these fixtures were for Turkey, I guess I could understand if they'd gone into their first fixture and it had been a winnable game and they had performed so abysmally that then you could maybe say that but their first games against Turkey sorry against Italy and then the way that that went so badly that you'd think that would be a bit of a jolt and so for the second fixture you're thinking okay well they're they're not going to believe their hype after they've just been thumped 3-0 by by Italy but then we got obviously more of the the same against Wales and we got more of the same in this game I mean the number of times that um, an opposition team is allowed to take an unchallenged shot from the edge of the Turkey box is astounding. I'm not entirely sure I've ever seen a team um, as poor at closing down opposition shots as this Turkey team was because obviously two two goals from Italy in the first game, that's where they came from and then there, it happened twice in this game as well and and so I, I, they absolutely deserve to be going home and never before has a has a dark horse. I mean, maybe they, they were so dark that we can't see them. Maybe that... <laughs> that was it. Uh, that was but, the problem. Yeah. <laughs> but geez, that this Turkey team... I mean, I was I was furious watching this game from, a, from a, as a Scotland fan because obviously we needed something from them. But equally, the fact that Switzerland are so typically Swiss that nobody knows what they're all about. They don't know whether they're through. Are they out? Are they through? Nobody knows. Switzerland will not stop being Switzerland for one minute. Um, that was also frustrating to me. This was a game that just frustrated me, generally. <laughs> all right, I, then, I will, then I will cease asking you questions about it so you can just think about happy thoughts like Scotland advancing okay. to the knockout round. Joe, I will come back to you to, to ask you, like, with this Turkey team, I'm going to ask you about Switzerland, but I'm going to set it up by talking about how, once again, I was disappointed by Turkey. Because at this point... Uh, I was, I think I was rolling as a nominal Turkey fan. I was rolling with Graham's idea of like, you lose the opener the way you do, the way I think he, you were feeling about Scotland versus the Czech Republic, Graham. It's like, all right, we're just happy to be here. We'll see what happens. Then after the second game, it felt like, okay, maybe the third game, we've seen this before. The pressure's off. They're going to try some different things. And maybe that's where the, we will see them sort of be the team we expected them to be. And that also was not the case, and I do think that's because Turkey were poor. I think some of the energy, especially uh, in the second half, really did dip off. But I also think Switzerland created problems, never gave up, kept fighting back. Ale Moreno at halftime talked about how he thought they needed to come out sort of fighting and not take their foot off the gas. You could argue they did a little bit. They concede that goal. Then they get right back on it and get another goal. Joe, for you, is this the ideal way for Switzerland to be ending the group stage? Because it feels like with a 3-1 to win, you've got uh, Shakiri scoring. You've got good attacking play. This was the Switzerland team we saw against the United States, in my mind. Do you feel like we, we've sort of got them in form, confident, heading into the knockout round? Yeah, Turkey is the game you want to end on. Turkey is the game that every team wants to end on because 
they don't really pose a, a huge challenge. They're the, <laughs> they're the perfect confidence boost. They're like your friends hyping you up before you go out on a date or something like that, right? Turkey, Turkey <laughs> is saying, oh, Switzerland, you're so good. You can do this. And they, they did it quite well. You come off of that 3 nothing loss against Italy where you high-pressed, but you got played through too much and you didn't create enough opportunities. This is the game you want to play. It allows you to run out and, and have your attacking players feeling confident. Shakiri scores two absolutely beautiful goals. Seferovic gets that goal in the Power sixth cube. minute. Power Cube does his thing. Severovich is doing his thing. I like to think that uh, a double by the Power Cube is uh, Power Cube squared. Uh, (laughs) I mean, that's just math right there, Graham. Oh, Graham. That's genius. (laughs) That's such a genius move. Switzerland looked good in this game. That's the long and short of it. And I think we could even see them continue to use Zuber and roll with this flexible four of the back shape that allows Ricardo Rodriguez to get forward. Sometimes Zuber can pick his spots on that left side, cut in on his right foot, and Bolo, Shakiri, and Severovic can find different spots in the attack. I liked the look from them, if they get out of this group, I should say, because they're still in third place. We don't know what's going to happen with them, but it's a good performance from them. We can bag on Turkey all day, and, and we have, and it's justified, but credit to Switzerland for doing what needed to be done. Now they have confidence, hopefully, from their perspective, heading into the knockout rounds. Anything can happen with the Swiss team. It can, and I and I do hope they make it out because though we've had our concerns about the Swiss and their ability to let people down uh, in past tournaments, to have them sort of rounding into form, Jerdan Shakiri with the brace, uh, Seferovic gets a goal, which he def- desperately needed, Zuber with the hat trick of assists. It just feels like a team that have that confidence, that ability to attack and play exciting soccer uh, that you would want for a team making it to the knockout round. Uh, we will find out what happens with them as the tournament progresses. Right now, they have obviously have not secured their spot. It is instead Italy and Wales. Joe, anything else you wanted to talk about from Turkey, Switzerland before we uh, move on to tomorrow's games? I don't I don't think so, Taylor. Will you allow me one thing back on yes. Italy real quick yeah. before we before we continue? I, will I just wanted it, to shout Joe. out <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Judge. I just wanted to say how how good Italy's set pieces were in that game. That's where the goal comes yeah. from with Pessina scoring off of Verratti's little curling free kick. Pessina just Shifts around it and runs, curls a run in front of Switzerland's, uh, sorry, in front of, uh, shoot, Italy were playing, ba 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 ba. Wales. Can't remember. Wales, thank you guys. Appreciate fair, that. It's two red teams. <laughs> it's very confusing. If you were taking notes at the same time, it's easy to like uh, suddenly, suddenly start talking about what Shakiri did for Wales. It all gets confusing. Yeah, it was a good set piece. Let's put it that way. And then they had a great one as well in the second half. I believe Bernadeschi was taking that free kick, and they had a line in front of Wales's defensive line, and then a line behind it, and then the, the back line then went and intertwined itself in with the Welsh defensive line, and the free kick went off the post. It was a, a lovely move from Italy. They've had some really creative set pieces, and that's another area that they can cause other teams problems. They can cause you problems with their press, with their possession, and with their attacking set pieces. That's a lot to deal with. It is, but you failed to end your point with this whole court's out of order, even though I allowed you to continue. I mean, Joe, come on. You've got to, if you want to make this a courtroom Sorry. drama, make this a courtroom drama. <laughs> I threw myself off when I couldn't remember the name Wales, so I really don't think I was going to be able to be more creative than <laughs> if, that, Taylor. If, if it helps, I was reeling from not saying, I'll allow it, but watch yourself, counselor. That's what you have to say if you want to go full courtroom drama. So uh, instead of mourning what I should and shouldn't have said, let's talk about our games for tomorrow. At noon, we've got North Macedonia versus the Netherlands, then we've got Ukraine, Austria. Put it this way for both of you. Uh, we haven't decided who's watching what and how we're going to do it, but which game do you think people should be keeping an eye on tomorrow? Because we've already talked about North Macedonia being eliminated. The Netherlands, I believe, will finish top of that group and have looked impressive. They will finish top for sure. So you might watch them 
play some different players or look even more dominant. Uh, but we do have Ukraine and Austria vying for that automatic second spot. So maybe it's that one. Graham, what would you advise people to tune into? So I think uh, naturally, just because there's more riding on it, I think Ukraine versus Austria will be, was the one that might um, draw the eye. And especially because Ukraine seem like quite a fun team. I've enjoyed watching them in the two games that they've played. Uh, Yarmolenko and Yaramchuk um, have, have had excellent an excellent tournament so far that you know two players that i brought into my fantasy team because i think they might score goals tomorrow whereas with the netherlands and north macedonia as you say north macedonia already out seems like netherlands are probably going to finish top of their group the one thing with the netherlands that i will be keeping an eye on is if de boer um, maybe changes up his attack in terms of bringing in daniel malin who i'm i'm a massive fan of and i feel like he showed in the in the, in the cameo that he played in, in, in the last game, um, that he might be a better fit for this Dutch attack over Veghorst. Uh, um, so that's something I'll be keeping an eye on. But it's, it's quite similar to the to the Italy sort of scenario today where you're, you're not really watching it for what's riding on the game um, in terms of getting through. It's more about it, will you learn something else about some other players. So in terms of which game will provide the, the better spectacle, I think it has to be Ukraine-Austria. All right. And and Joe, uh, since Ryan is not here, I will not ask you for a specific prediction of how this game is going to play out. Instead, I'm going <laughs> to ask you a way harder question for Ukraine-Austria. Based on what we've seen from them so far, what would be your, if you're giving us a, like, here's how I think this game goes down, not from a goal scoring or anything like that standpoint, but just which team do you think is going to have more possession? Which team do you think will sit back? Do you think this will be a sort of open back and forth game with both teams needing a result? I, I ask because I feel like we, we've seen both teams do a couple different things in a couple different moments in this tournament, and I'm not sure which one will try to be the proactive attacking team, which one will be more content to sit deep, or if neither of them will be. You are our, our tactics man, so I'm throwing to you, tactics man. I think it's going to be open. I think both teams are going to have chances on the ball. I think Ukraine's more likely to cause problems for Austria with their possession versus the other way around. I think Austria are at their best when they're pressing a little bit higher and when they're playing more in transition. And then you have Sabitzer and, and David Alaba creating things within that structure. Ukraine played this expansive 4-3-3 that can sometimes look like a 4-2-3-1 as Zinchenko drifts. I think they're they're a little bit cleaner and crisper in possession. But I expect this game to be a, a really fun one. We, we've seen both of these teams play more open games in this group, which has just generally been more open in terms of how the the play has gone. I think it's going to be a fun game that goes back and forth, and I think it's definitely the game to watch tomorrow in that group. All right, so those games are at noon. Then at 3 p.m., we've got Finland v. Belgium, Russia v. Denmark. Graham, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that your hope is that Belgium beat Finland and Denmark beats Russia? <laughs> Uh, yes, that is correct. As many teams on three points as possible, please. Just everyone on three points um, would be good. <laughs> and this is the group that makes me quite nervous because um, if Finland get anything against Belgium, that obviously that puts them onto four points. And if Russia get anything in their game against Denmark, they're you know they're they're on four or or, or potentially six. So. Yes, I, I'll be watching this through the prism of Scotland once again. I'll be watching this this these two games. 
Uh, and I think uh, if I'm having like one game on a, on the TV screen, one on the laptop or on the iPad, I think I would have Ukraine, Austria on the big screen, North Macedonia, Netherlands on the small one. And then for these games, I think it would probably be Russia, Denmark on the big screen. Uh, even though it could be really open with Finland versus Belgium, I doubt that. I think Finland will try to make it the exact opposite of open. Uh, but I think that one has all the familiar symptoms of Belgium not starting their best players and it being like nil-nil in the 60th minute and then maybe Belgium get the one winner, whereas Russia-Denmark could go anyway. Joe, instead of putting you on spot with another tactics question, I will ask this. We know the runner-up of this group will be playing Wales. Knowing what we know about Wales, what we've already talked about, what we've seen from them, which team would you most like to be playing Wales in the next round for whatever reason? Could be entertainment, could be individual matchups or tactical matchups. But uh, yeah, if you've got one team going up against Wales, who do you want it to be? I'd like it to be Denmark. Not necessarily because I think there will be all these intriguing tactical matchups. I mean, there there will be for any of these games. But because I think it's a winnable game for Denmark. And I think Denmark are way better than we've gotten a chance to see so far, right? They have Christian Eriksen go down in that first game. So there's a giant cloud around that game. Then they come into the second game against Belgium, and they come out strong. And they score that early goal. They look really good. And then they get picked apart a little bit in the second half. But they still don't They don't fade away, really, in that game. They gave Belgium a contest. And I, I think if they can beat Russia tomorrow, and if they can get out of this group, either as a second-place team or the third-place team, if they can go on and get that matchup with Wales, I think they could continue going strong. Denmark have just been way better than we've seen so far, and I would love to see them in the quarterfinals of this competition. And Wales, not not that Wales is a bad team, but that matchup could get them there. Graham, are you good with that one? Yeah, absolutely. I, I was I was just going to come in there and say I I, I think um, I think Denmark are a really good team, and for reasons that are, are pretty obvious to us by now they you know things have, have gone against them and not only you know everything that happened from a from a you know a personal level to Christian Eriksen but and I do feel a little bit more comfortable talking about this in soccer terms now because Eriksen has thankfully been discharged from hospital now um so from from a football point of view they also lost I said in the preview on Denmark that Christian Eriksen was arguably as important to Denmark as any other player for any other team in this tournament so you know they also lost their 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 best and most important player but I I, I liked what I saw from Kasper Hulman in, in the game against Belgium when he, he changed the shape I thought that did a lot of good uh, a lot of good things to make Maybe mask um, and compensate for not having Ericsson in that team. Obviously, they came up against the number one ranked team in the world, and they gave them a good fight. So, I, I do think that it's a little bit of a false position for Denmark to be bottom in this group on zero points after two games. And I am with Joe. I would I would like to see them go through, not not just for the sentiment uh, sentimentality of it, but I, I think they're a good team. Uh, I do as well. I'm really excited for for those all the games tomorrow, but especially the 3 p.m. games. And I think we are already set up for some weirdness just because uh, Finland playing host to Belgium, Finland, the home team that will be played in St. Petersburg and Russia. Then Russia traveling to Denmark to play in Copenhagen, where Russia is somehow the home team because the Euros have been <laughs> weird. So Russia, the home team hosting Denmark in Denmark's stadium. I feel like that's a recipe for strangeness, and I know both of you will be back with me to discuss those games, even if they're not weird. We'll still talk about them. Ryan Bailey also will be back, but for now, gentlemen, I think we've gone plenty long on all of the games today and most of the games tomorrow. Uh, So I will just say, Graham Ruthman, thank you as always for taking the time to chat with me today. That is not a problem. It's always a pleasure. And I'm just thankful I don't have to watch Turkey again. (laughs) (laughs) As am I. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for Joe Lowry's turkey puns, uh, keeping the pun streak alive. Joe, thank you for carrying that burden. You got it, Taylor.
Listeners, thank you all very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all again very soon.